From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Grab one of these open phone lines. Father Brian Mullady is in the house. Ready to answer your questions, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. 2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Thursday, Father Brian Mullady, how are you? Okay, fine. Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Right. Uh, Last week we celebrated the Feast of St. Augustine, the Doctor of Grace, and also a person who had a great deal to do with saving my own fate in the late 60s. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about St. Augustine's ideas about life but also how they relate to Thomas Aquinas' ideas in perhaps a more intellectual sense about why we're here. St. Augustine, as you know, is the one that is the origin of the famous quotation, you have made us for yourselves. And as a result, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, addressing God. This making of ours for God reflects the thing that begins at the initial stages of the catechism where it's basically stated that uh, the life of man uh, fully alive is uh, the vision of God. Why is this the case? Because we have an intellect. I know we live in an intellectual age where people belittle thinking. They don't particularly like thinking in religion. But the point is we do think and we have the ability to think. And in fact, it's by intelligence that we participate in the whole world. It's also intelligence which enables us to have freedom of choice because we can see different sides to a given thing regarding perfecting our powers that we were born with in our soul. And also the intellect is the place where this final application has to take place because the will seeks the good, it's love, that's true, but 
the will is satisfied with any good if the intellect's determined or if they've accepted that, and even even the false goods. So, in, in other words, if we don't experience truth itself, then all the other fulfillments we might have, you know, food, drink, sleep, money, uh, even um, friendship, all these things, which may satisfy all the other powers of our soul, will then not satisfy us because our hearts will still remain restless because the one thing is not experience, which is the cause of the world itself. What I seek in my mind is the cause of the whole world. And Aristotle reflected this too. It's, it's just a Christian idea. At the beginning of the metaphysics, where he says, all men by nature desire to know. And then he points out how this desire to know was what led people to philosophize to begin with. He calls it wonder at the causes of the world. We wondered. We looked outside of ourselves and saw the nature and all these things in nature, and we wondered what moved them all. Now, almost without looking for it, then, human beings go into the world to find, uh, maybe to dig a grave, you could say, and the world itself leads them to the conclusion that they find a treasure, which is the existence of God. But once you know that God exists, the intellect still wants to know who God is. St. Thomas was very famous in his youth for asking people who is God, even when he was a child, because he was so enticed by this mystery. As a result, the only way our restless heart can be stilled is through grace when God himself elevates us to know him well, on earth it would be through faith. But remember, faith is the essence of things unseen, the substance of things to be hoped for. So that in itself stimulates our hope even further. Every time we therefore experience a kind of perfection or a fulfillment in our souls, this leads us on to a deeper fulfillment. And that fulfillment can only be stilled when we actually look upon him. In other words, we look upon the infinite God, which of course we now know is uh, incarnate in Christ. So our restless hearts have to do with seeing and knowing many truths in the world. We don't deny those truths. But those truths are not satisfying because they continuously lead us to higher truths. Eventually they lead us to realize, by reason, we don't know God. Then when in the scripture and by revelation, especially Christ, we're able to know God, but in the manner of this world, in a limited way, even our um, contemplation of God where our restless heart, in a certain sense, is satisfied through love, that love, you know, wants to um, be finally 
stilled, and love has to break the web uh, when we die so that we see God in the face as he is. Now, of course, God doesn't have a physical face, but we're talking about the, the infinite light of the deity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit becoming fused with our way of knowing so that God has no concept, but when we die, if we've been loved God, then we receive, finally, he himself in place of a concept. You can almost say our minds are blown by this because God is infinite and we're not. And this light of glory to which we're called is what alone can still our restless heart. So when we look at the world around us, and we are experiencing a lot of difficulties in society and even in our religion, we must never allow those things to have us lose hope, but instead realize that they're mere occasions by which we can finally experience the one thing which is necessary. C.S. Lewis, at the end of this, one of the screw tape letters, when the person they're tempting, the demons they're tempting, dies, he says, you let him slip through your fingers. He said to think that this thing begotten in a bed can look upon him and we can't. So let us always remember that we need to allow God to stay in the center of our souls and always keep our minds fixed on this infinity and uh, keep our hearts restless in a sense because <laughs> that leads us on to be able to say our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Got a delightful little item I want to tell you about at EWTN's Religious Catalog. It's a pocket-sized tapestry notebook. It's certainly a lovely practice to make a daily note of all the people and things for which we are thankful or for the graces that we need each day, favors that we want to ask of God or perhaps someone that we especially want to pray for that day. Well, this handy notebook is the perfect accessory to always keep on hand so you can easily write down a special prayer request or prayerful inspiration whenever it occurs. 
Each notebook features a hard tapestry cover and it contains 96 pages of lined paper. Notebook cover styles include the Holy Spirit, Madonna and Child, Our Lady of Perpetual Help, the Sacred Hearts, um, that should be the Sacred and Immaculate Hearts, uh, Christ the Teacher, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, or St. Michael the Archangel. You can simply visit EWTN's religious catalog to order for yourself or to give as a special gift. It's available now at EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. That is standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at checkout. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. First up today is Fred in the great state of Pennsylvania, listening on Holy Family Radio. Fred, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Thank you so very much for taking my call. Uh, I'm an absolute believer in uh, God giving every human being intellect and free will, uh, without a doubt. And I fully subscribe that we are quote, I guess, under the sin nature because of what happened uh, in the garden. Uh, Obviously, Satan, who I guess was Lucifer at the time, and all his followers uh, decided to uh, disobey God and was therefore thrown out of heaven. And uh, after Adam and Eve, we are suffering the price of being born with the the original sin. Having said that, uh, it seems to me that uh, Satan is the most evil creature anywhere. And What's your question? Okay, my question is, uh, why did, having known that, and knowing that uh, we are imperfect and will continue to sin throughout our life in some fashion, uh, whether the devil was here or not, why did God not destroy Lucifer after he decided that uh, he wanted to go his own way? All right. Well, this is all in the divine plan, you know, because God doesn't will us to sin, but he knows we will. And his purpose in creating the whole universe was to uh, bring human beings and angels to experience him directly. Remember, the angels were created too, and they weren't created in heaven yet. They had grace. The difference is that in an angelic nature, their first choice ends their pilgrimage. It's like death for us. So they either go to heaven or not. And what happened was that if you want to call him Lucifer or whatever, he had a choice between self and God, and he chose self. So God said, fine, you want to choose self? You're stuck with it for all eternity. See how you like it. When we came along, we were created in grace too. God wanted us to eventually go to heaven. We weren't in heaven yet. And Satan, who was jealous of us, He suggested, but only by external suggestion, to first Eve and then to Adam, that they didn't need to have boundaries to their lives, that they could set their own boundaries. 
And of course, they listened to his word, and they disobeyed the one commandment God had given them, whatever it was. It's mythically represented as eating the fruit of a tree, but it could have been anything, because God wished to demonstrate that he was the origin of the wonderful condition in which they were created. And so, like Satan, in imitation of him, they instead chose self. Now, the difference is that they had their whole lives to convert back. Satan doesn't have his whole life because he's an angel. So they could vacillate. But their the purpose that God had in allowing them to sin was that he might bring forth a greater mercy. Because God, both the angels and the human beings were created to be united to God in nature, or to see him, you could say. But only in Christ, who comes from the race of man, remember Satan doesn't have a... Uh, every angel is unique to itself. There is no common nature. From the common nature that we experience, he takes Christ, and he glorifies us in Christ, and then invites us through faith in Christ to experience that glorification here on earth, but in a hidden way through faith, and then in heaven when we see him. Now, again, that ends with death. So there's no more change. But until you die, there's always hope that you can convert. Satan doesn't have such a hope because on one choice... His pilgrimage depended because he was an angel. He didn't have a body. So the whole purpose God had in allowing uh, the sin, both Satan's sin and Satan to externally suggest it to us, was to bring forth the union of God in person. And this is the second person of the Trinity. It's a miracle no one else has this union but Jesus because he has only a human nature, not a human person. And the two natures are joined together in the person of the word. So we, uh, I, I've known people, I had a sister friend who used to just say, now God should have just kept Adam from sitting and everything would have been fine. And I said, well, you can't do that. For one thing, <laughs> the very fact that he's created as a man means he has free will and even if God Satan hadn't existed human beings could have certainly thought up ways to become egotistical and to deny boundaries themselves and in fact often do so we have to thank God for our own salvation and pray that we will be delivered from temptation and not listen to the tempter if he continues to tempt us to an egotistical way of life without any moral boundaries except the ones we think we set. God bless you, Fred. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Angela writes in, My husband and I are in the process of making our will. 
Father Brian, according to biblical and church teaching, should we leave 10% to the poor and the mission of the church? Well, tithing is something characteristic of the Old Testament, the 10%. Uh, certainly, it's a laudable and charitable custom to leave things, especially to some of the poor and, all, and sometimes the church. And you remember they used to have uh, kind of strange ways in the Old Testament where they kept possession of their property by deeding it over to the altar. And, uh, Jesus talks about the practice of a korban. But it's up to you, you know. You have to decide uh, what you want to give and to whom you wish to give it. That's true of your own relatives or your own family. But it's also true when it comes to charitable works. Um, and certainly, I'm, I'm not belittling that. I think I, it's a good thing. Our religious order could certainly use some more wills of people who help to support us because we depend on the alms of the faithful. I know a lot of sisters' communities who do very laudable work, but they depend on the alms of the faithful too because we don't really get salaries like like normal people do. Uh, we, we receive gifts, more or less. Sometimes we receive a sort of salary, but generally we depend on the free all-will offerings of the faithful. So a good way to do that is, of course, in your will. But again, it's up to you, and it's also up to you uh, how much you give. Uh, Philip writes in, uh, actually, Anthony, he wants to know, was the, sin of, was the sin of Adam and Eve of the magnitude of a mortal sin committed by someone today? In Adam and Eve's case, because they were created in grace with no weaknesses, any, even what we would call, there were no venial sins. Everything that they did had the character of a mortal sin that was contrary to God's will for them. Now, of course, we have weakness. We have concupiscence. We have ignorance. We have to deal with death and all those things. And all those things, they do limit the uh, responsibility of a person and, of course, not all matter is objectively mortal. That wasn't, nor was it in Adam and Eve's case, except because of the fact of the way they were created, because they really were virtuous people. In other words, they really enjoyed doing good. <laughs> now, I remember one time I gave a class to some Carmelite sisters on the virtues so at the end of the class, one of the sisters raised her hand, and I said, uh, yes, sister. And she said, now let me get this straight. We're supposed to enjoy being virtuous? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, in a rightly constituted character, of course you'd enjoy it, because it would reflect in you your passions, your feelings of joy, etc., would reflect your integrity. Why don't we enjoy it? Because we don't have integrity anymore. We lost that in the original sin. So for us, the beginnings of virtue are our first sharings in the cross. 
and so they can be very painful. Just I think for most people, I think I would include this in myself, just admitting you have an ego could be quite painful. (laughs) (laughs) 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We've got wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's open line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Philip wants to know, Father, is Catholicism based on fideism? Uh, I don't quite understand the based thing. Uh, basically, in case you don't, some of you don't know the terms, fideism is the idea that all relig- all truth, including scientific truth, is based on faith. Its opposite is rationalism, which is what we've actually been practicing for several hundred years in Europe, which is that all truth, including religious truth, is based on human reason. Well, Catholicism recognizes the legitimacy of human reason. We're the only religion that does. We're the only religion that believes that faith and reason can be united with each other, and one doesn't deny the other. However, there are truths that reason can't teach us that we need faith for, and vice versa. Faith teaches us certain truths, uh, but isn't there to correct reason. That's what reason exists for. So to have a truly scientific argument about something, you have to have an argument that is proven by reason alone. Um, That's the only thing why I know quite how to answer the question. If by based on it you mean, well, I still don't think, I think it would be the other way around. Reason leads you to the necessity of faith. So if you want to put it that way, though faith, of course, comes with some revelation, uh, it's not based on revelation, but revelation teaches us we need another kind of knowledge. I'm sorry. Reason teaches us that though we, we need another kind of knowledge than pure reason itself because it can't answer the question of the restless heart. It wants to lead us further. When Jesus reveals faith to us in the scriptures, that helps us to understand what the uh, world is about. So Catholicism actually believes that faith and reason, or fideism and rational, are, inc- are compatible with each other, and we could be described as neither fideistic nor rationalistic, but we unite the two together in one grand uh, progress of intellectual truth. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head next to the great state of Oklahoma. Terry is watching on YouTube today. Terry, you are on with Father Brian. Hello, Father. How are you today? Fine. Um, I'm just calling. I have a question about um, 
the status of religion and, and the church today in in America. It seems almost as if the church is under spiritual attack here. There's so many things going on that seem to be against our tradition, and, you know, they're thinking of adding, um, you know, gay clergy and so forth. And so I'm just wondering if you could give me some thoughts on, on what what your thoughts are on that and what we as Catholics can do to pray and help our church and see that, you know, get God's grace for us. Well, first of all, the church has been under attack in every culture ever since our Lord founded it. Even in the Middle Ages when they had Catholic monarchs, you had Catholic monarchs killing archbishops on altars because of political differences and things like that. The second thing is that as a country, if you're talking about us as a country, especially regarding the laity, we're doing a lot better than some of the other countries. Even Pope Francis lamented the fact that we were too backward-looking recently, by which I think he meant that we uh, are very interested in the traditional faith. Thirdly, gay clergy is evil. Period. It's a sin. It's not supposed to be there. Uh, so the church can't approve it. Uh, nor can it approve... The cler Just because someone's a clergyman doesn't mean that everything they do is right. In fact, some clergy are sacrilegiously um, unable to come up to what the clergy state means. And then regarding your question about what we can do about it, I would say for all of us, um, except maybe those in the higher parts of the hierarchy, uh, for all of us, we just live our vocation and we try to practice our faith try to become a moral person to change and even in the face of being attacked unjustly by others we try to ignore it pray for the person and just move on to heaven God bless you Terry thanks so much for the phone call today that frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN that's 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. Matt writes in, I've been told there are two attributes of God, transcendence and imminence. Can you explain these traits? Yeah. Well, they come from modern theology, so <laughs> the language is sometimes quite difficult. The transcendent God is the Trinity as it exists in eternity and as the persons live with each other. The eminent God means that uh, because God is everywhere and the Trinity is everywhere, the Trinity actually is at the origin of all the things that exist, uh, except artificial things, all natural things, that God's truth, his love, and his being, which would be the latter being the Father and then the truth is the Word and the love is the spirit, is actually the primary moving and dividing force of all the things that exist in nature. 
because they are not, God is present to them, but they're not the same as God. If God did not, were not present to them, they'd cease to exist and return to nothingness. So the fact that they're held in existence, this is due to divine providence. And the eminent trinity, which is the one we experience, let's say, Teresa of Avila used to say by mystical life, that you should be able to experience even in a bee, a, a bird or a tree, the father keeping it in existence, the fact that a tree is different from a flower, that's the word, God's ideas. And then finally the fact that these things are created to grow, um, the fact that they seek their own good, all the um, movements of the earth are an attempt by diversity to return to the unity which is God. That demonstrates the presence of the Holy Spirit. But obviously, God's presence in the world is not the same as his presence in heaven. Now, there are religions that so emphasize the transcendence of God that they deny his imminence. And one of those would be Islam. God is so transcendent in Islam, it would be impossible for him to become a, uh, a person uh, from the Trinity taking flesh. Because this transcendence means we don't know his name, we know nothing about him, and also it makes him free to change his mind as he wishes. So, you know, God could t tell us to murder a few people and then tell us murder was wrong in the same breath. In other words, it would be illogical. And many other things. So, we believe very strongly that in the beginning was the Word, or I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. That's demonstrated in the eminent trinity. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines. Plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Felicia would like to know, in the Bible, Jesus performed many miracles, including healing the sick. He said that we are called to do this in his name. Is that true? Are we literally meant to heal? Uh, I'd have to see the text because I'm not sure. I mean, the apostles received some powers to heal the sick in Christ's name. But I'm not sure the ordinary people are called to do that. Uh, and also, healing in this case is a sign of the much deeper healing, which is the forgiveness of sins. Also, the, just healing some of the diseases, and I know Christ, after all, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, the fever, you know, just um, uh, performing acts of healing are things that our Lord did. But these were all oriented to a healing of the Spirit. So yes, we are asked to participate in the healing of the Spirit, but that's more by moral life. I would not say that every single person has the gift of physical healing, nor should have, 
nor should presume upon it. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Give us a call. Barbara wants to know, how do I know who is speaking the truth in a world with so many voices claiming to be true? Well, first of all, you go to the scripture. Then you go to the Catholic tradition. Then you go to the constant teaching of the popes and the councils. And then you go to the theologians who teach in union with the mind. And by constant teaching, I'm very specific about that. Because it doesn't mean what one pope might have said or another pope might have said. If it should happen, if it should happen, and it rarely does, but if it should happen to conflict with what the church has always taught. Um, there's a thing called the sense of the faithful. People interpret that today as kind of a democracy thing. You take a poll as to what we should believe. That's not what it means. The sense of the faithful means that we have to reflect what everyone who's ever believed has reflect. In other words, it includes the people who died in the church. And it has as its origin what the apostles understood on Pentecost of Christ's uh, place in the world, which includes the Trinity and his own personal nature. Be sure to check out Divine Intimacy Radio this Sunday morning at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Join Dan and Stephanie Burke as they talk with Dr. Joseph Holcraft and Dr. John Verrier about this uh, on this particular episode. You don't want to miss out as they discuss the importance of mental prayer and the Divine Office. That's Divine Intimacy Radio, Sunday morning, 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Still time for your calls if you pick up the phone and give us a jingle, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Cindy writes in, can you define what deliberate consent is in the case of mortal sin? Yes, deliberate consent means that you do not do this in weakness, and you do not do this in ignorance, but you do it with full knowledge and complete con- and, and um, no um, weakness as such. That you actually give yourself to the particular action knowing that it's contrary to the will of God. And the way I like to put it is, um, you know, sometimes people think that sins of thought, some scrupulous people especially, that all sins of thought are, are evil. Well, the issue there is consent. In other words, if you were able to do the deed at that moment, would you do it? Not did you think about it. I remember I had one very scrupulous man who asked me uh, if he watched something on TV and he enjoyed it if that made him sinful. I said, no, 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 no. It's got to be the deed, you know. Uh, Joe is in the Republic of Texas. He's listening on Guadalupe Radio. Joe, you are on with Father Brian Malady. Howdy, guys. Uh, question, question for you. So, um, just recently um, spoke with a priest to uh, kind of try to condense this story, but 
I have a son who, uh, who uh, same-sex attraction. Uh, the, the Catholic priest that we spoke with uh, said, look, that's how God made him. Uh, we should encourage him to live his lifestyle as he sees fit. You can't judge. And that uh, this particular Catholic priest deals with a lot of homosexual couples. He blesses their, their unions. He's, he's all about it. He's good with it. What do we do as a Catholic uh, as a Catholic, when a priest is teaching outside the magisterial teachings of the Church, do we do we take it to our bishop? What do we do when somebody's basically helping to condemn someone to hell? The bishop is the primary person that needs to be informed of this. Uh, it's one thing to say that a person has a gay orientation. It's true we don't condemn people for that. But as would be the case with homosexual or heterosexual orientation, you can't live it out by any deeds because you can't get married. And so to uh, say you're going to bless homosexual unions, that's wrong. It's evil. It doesn't correspond to the sacraments of the church, and it's looking on these things as just the turn by the culture which we have some responsibility to resist. And this is one of the places where we have a big responsibility to resist. But the bishop would be the primary person to inform of this. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Philip is up next in the great state of Florida listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Philip, you're on with Father Milady. Oh, okay, thanks for taking my call, Father. Um, my question is, is in the wake of nearly 50 years of, uh, of feminism, has, have women changed so fundamentally that the Church is going to have to rethink their position, um, not only in the Church, but, but, but in, in many other ways as well? Um, and I'll just well, leave that open. Well, well, what, what position are you talking about? Do you mean whether they could work in chanceries, or do you mean are they mothers primarily, et cetera? No, I'm, I'm not talking about motherhood so much, or, or even the priesthood, so much as, as, as marriage. It's, um, you know, you, you look at taking communion, and, and I, I have a confession to make here. I, I recently took communion in a Catholic church. I, I am a Lutheran. Our, uh, our pastor. We don't allow that. We don't allow that. So yes, sir. Well, I I won't be doing it again. Well, but, until you, unless you convert. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, I'm kidding you. That, that, uh, look, that's all right. Um, the place of women in the church is determined by Scripture, and according to Saint Thomas. Um. The place in marriage is the husband is related to the wife as a wise governor to a free citizen. It was perverted into a master to a slave in the original sin, but originally it wasn't that way. And as you recall in the famous um, Wives Be Submissive to Your Husbands in Paul, he says, Husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. And then he also says, Submit to each other out of love. He kind of qualifies that a bit. So even though there's kind of an order in Christian marriage, it's not where the man gives the orders and the women just obey. 
Uh, it has to do, however, with the protection of the truth and the one who lives the truth by lovingly supporting both her husband and the um, children. Edith Stein has a beautiful meditations on this. Also, the place of women in the church has not changed that much in Catholicism. The Catholic Church was one of the only places where women had authority, and that would be mostly in the sisterhoods. So, you know, to be the abbess of an abbey, the abbess had a lot of power. <laughs> and some of them were even invested like bishops. They weren't bishops, but they were invested that way. So uh, I don't quite understand this whole thing of women's position changing. Also, even the feminists are perturbed by the transsexual movement because they feel their whole movement's been destroyed by it. So I think you need to even look at that and see that there's something really seriously wrong with this. We head next to Northern Illinois. Emily is a first-time caller listening on WSFI Radio. Emily, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, thank you for taking my call. My question is, Holy Thursday was the first Mass. But when did the disciples start celebrating the Mass or the Eucharist with other people? Well, first of all, Holy Thursday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday together constituted the first Mass. Is one of the reasons why Scott Hahn wrote that book called The Fourth Cup, because the Passover service on Thursday of Holy Thursday, as it's described in the scripture, normally it wasn't complete until you drank the fourth cup of wine, but they don't do that in the upper room. Jesus does when he drinks the cup of wine just before he dies. So the whole thing together constitutes a Paschal event. The origins of this being celebrated by the community, now I'm not sure of it, I haven't done some research about it, but certainly in the Pauline epistles you have uh, Christian worship that is like the Last Supper described. So that would be very shortly after Christ rose from the dead and Paul um, you know was converted also um, the Jews uh, because we were in the period where the church was being formed in its basic way remember they did go to the temple still as is seen by uh, I believe it's Peter and John who performed the miracle of the beautiful gate of the temple so slowly it developed until the real, what we have today in basic form is described in St. Justin Martyr, which is the beginning of the first century after Christ. Thanks, Emily. We appreciate the call. Derek is next up. He's in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Derek, you're on with Father Milady. Hi, Father. Hey, uh, quick question. Um, with uh, respect to uh, 
martyrs and uh, purgatory. Do um, after the the martyr dies for the church, do um, do they go straight to heaven or could they do time in purgatory? Yes, that's why martyrs don't need a canonization process. Yes, a person who's martyred for the faith uh, atones immediately for whatever temporal punishment they have due to sin. So, And quickly, we'll head to Pamela in Fort Collins, Colorado. Pamela, I hate to do this to you, but just a couple minutes left with Father. What's your question today? I know. Hi, Jack. Hi, Father John. Father, can you give me some advice? My mother has a progressive terminal illness. She was uh, um, diagnosed with ALS, and she's having a hard time with the diagnosis. Can you give any advice, resources, words of wisdom about how to talk to her about the beatific vision to give her some comfort in the process of dying. You want that in two minutes, huh? <laughs> um, actually, the best advice I could give you is to just keep encouraging her with the idea that despite all the suffering, uh, she will. She's preparing herself to to meet Jesus, the bridegroom. Mm-hmm. I had a sister friend once who died of terminal cancer from which she suffered for three years. And she said, my death is going to be a long tree-line drive and Jesus is going to be at one end and I'm going to be at the other dressed in my bridal gown. And my death is going to be running down the tree-line drive and jumping into the arms of Jesus whom I so loved and longed to see throughout my life. God bless you, Pamela. One nice thing you've done by calling today is you'll have many of our listeners keeping you and your mom in their prayers. Prayers. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be sent upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, on EWTN's Open Line Friday. Until we get together then, God bless. God bless.